Hey, folks, today we've got another exciting episode because our special guest is Tony Phillips. He is zooming in from beautiful London, Ontario. And here's what's really cool about Tony's story. Three short years ago, Tony was a dog groomer. That was his main that was his main thing. Fast forward a few years, he got into real estate investing and he's built up a portfolio of 30 rental units in the small multifamily space. So I can't wait to unwrap this story because I think it's going to be fascinating. Tony, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, David. It's a pleasure to meet you. Likewise. All right. So let's rewind a few years, even pre-COVID. Sounds like you were in the dog grooming business. That's pretty cool, especially if you like dogs. Uh, but how did you transition from that or what's kind of sparked you into real estate investing? Yeah, so it is quite a quite a different transition. But um, I think to really get the full story, you kind of have to go back to my um, you know starting roots. I was initially homeschooled, which I think really um, lined me up well to kind of think outside the box and get si- outside of sort of the typical rat race, if you will, of, you know, just working a, a nine to five job and then, you know, retiring on a pension or something like that. So, K, so K through 12, you're homeschooled. The entire thing. Yes. Wow. Holy smokes. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't turn out too weird, hopefully, uh, like the stereotype. <laughs> well, time but, will tell, Tony. We just started <laughs> Time will tell. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, that kind of set me up of, you know, kind of thinking outside the box, being self-motivated, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I've always uh, admired entrepreneurs and kind of had an entrepreneurial um, site for my focus. Um, so when I was, uh, I believe it was back in 2014, um, when I was quite young, I started a farming business. I won't go into too many details, but essentially organic farming, um, just under 100 acres and, you know, wow. selling that for profit. Um, my brother and I, we did that um, for a couple of years, made decent money at that. Um, I also kind of had a small, uh, bandana, uh, business that I still run, uh, with a partner that kind of coincides with the, uh, the dog industry that I was in. Um, and when I was in 2009, um, I actually competed in the national championships for dog handling and grooming. And I ended, I ended up winning that. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. You must've been very young then. How old were you when you won that? Um, so I'm 28 right now. So, um. I don't even know the math on that, but you said that was yeah, 2009, 2009. Yeah. So yeah. I would have been uh, quite young and I, I still hold the record actually for the youngest person to, to win that is as far as I know, I still hold the record for that. Nice. Um, so then, you know, Canada paid for me to go over to England to, to represent Canada. Um, so it was a nice free trip uh, for myself and my family. Um, cool. But anyway, after that, I got offered a job um, managing a large kennel and grooming business um, which I did for, I believe, 11 years before I retired from that and uh, just did real estate full time. Um, so as so, so again, of- what, what, what was it that kind of you had a lot of entrepreneurial kicks at the can and doing different things and doing different things at the same time? What kind of spoke to you about real estate investing and specifically multifamily? Yeah. So I think the main thing was, I was like a lot of people where I was just working extremely hard, you know, sometimes 12 to 16 hour days with other businesses on the side. And I was just getting completely burnt out. Mm -hmm. And I was looking for other ways to 
earn income without so much effort. Cause I knew I couldn't put that amount of effort out um, over a long period of time. It wasn't sustainable. So I was looking for an easier way to make a, an income and make a living. And I always thought it was really cool that I could buy a piece of property and essentially have someone else pay for the mortgage and maybe make a profit on top of that as well. So um, I started following a few people on Instagram as a lot of people have. Um, and, you know, that just kind of snowballed me into some of their communities, some of their meetups. And then, you know, I was hooked. I, I thought it was just such a cool idea to own real estate, um, you know, just manage it. Um, so then so, after that, so I just maybe a little bit less hustle and more bustle. Exactly. You know, yeah. maybe uh, less physical work and more uh, just using your mental bandwidth to to create some uh, some income and some wealth. So that's really what uh, what sparked my motivation into real estate. So you poked around online, you found some some folks on Instagram, then you connected, you got into communities. Did you take any quote unquote formal education around real estate investing, like courses or programs or coaching, there, mentorship, that kind of stuff? Yeah. So I did take a few um, courses online, um, you know, just to, when you're so young and so, so new, you're, um, you really just are a sponge to try and soak up as much information as possible. So some of the courses I, I think are over, uh, valued for what you get out of it. But overall, I did think I learned a lot, um, essentially just learning from other people who are smarter than you and have done it, uh, before. Or, so well, you maybe can, not, maybe not smarter than you, but more experienced than you at maybe, that yeah, thing. Yeah. Not smarter, maybe just a little wiser. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a little bit of a cheat code. If you can just, uh, you know, essentially take someone else's homework that's already done it and just kind of follow their blueprint where, you know, it leads to success. So, um, yeah, that's what I did. I I did end up, uh, having a successful uh, real estate investor. That's specifically in my area doing multifamily exactly as I want to do. I did end up hiring him as a coach. Um, and he was very good and, and did definitely help me for sure. So what was the first deal that you did and what so year? For, yeah. So first deal I did was in uh, 2020, I believe it was uh, July of 2020 and it was a off market private sale fourplex. Where so in London. All of my properties are, are in London. They're nice. And how and did you find that one off market? So that was through kind of the community that I had, um, become a part of initially mm-hmm. through Instagram and whatnot. So I saw a lot of these people were buying off market deals, off market properties. I didn't even know what that meant at the time, honestly. Um, but then I started to say, well, if all these successful people are doing it, that must be the way to do it. If you want to, you know, really make some money. So, um, yeah, just through connecting, uh, with some wholesalers and whatnot. Um, you know, there's a few wholesalers I knew that were focusing on London and I would just start bugging them, you know, every, every week or twice a week and just like, Hey, you got any, any tips, any deals coming up? And it just so happened. I, I reached out to this guy at the right time. He said, um, yeah, I'm actually looking at a property tomorrow. Uh, it's a, it's a fourplex. Um, and then that's just kind of how it came about. Very nice. That is, that is so awesome. So that first one, did you self-finance that or did you partner with somebody else? How did you get that one done? Nope. So that was self-financed. You know, I had been working very hard at my job, uh, you know, with the dog grooming and that sort of thing. So I had a, not a, I wasn't making a ton, but I had a, at least an average or, or decent T4 income um, enough to support. And, and the, you were a good saver. And I was a very good saver. That is something I should point out is 
Um, I worked extremely hard and I saved even harder. Um, you know, ever since I was young, I was constantly saving. I was a bit of a pack rat for saving, um, which I really think if, if you want to get into real estate, you, you have to save a little bit of a nest egg just to get started. That's, that is quite important. So yeah, skin thanks. In the game. yeah, exactly. So yeah, thanks for pointing that out. But yes, I did have some savings saved up uh, a decent amount. And then I had my T4 income. So then I was able to acquire oh, that, uh, that multifamily property, especially since it's a multifamily, there was the rental income from the tenants that would help set off, offset the mortgage. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just funded well, that. Even though that was a fourplex, it, can, it comes under, you know, residential financing, but yeah, if, if it especially was purpose built, they're going to take a look at the rental income. Did you happen to live in that property as well? Or did you just buy it as a complete, uh, rental property? Nope. So actually yeah, I just bought it as a complete rental property, um, ended up, uh, you know, negotiating with the tenants for some cash for keys and, uh, you know, turning over the tenants. Cause you know, like, like anything that's going to be a bit of a moneymaker, it's always going to be run down sometimes poor tenants and whatnot. Yeah. So was able to turn over the tenants, turn over the property with renovations and then uh, refinance and then off nice. to the next one. So just out of curiosity for people that are, that are, haven't done that yet, give us an idea of how run down it was like, how much did you have to, how much work was it to bring it up to snuff and what difference did that make in your, your monthly rent per unit? Yeah. So I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but yeah, um, generally, yeah, generally with a renovation of a multifamily property, unless there's something major that's wrong with it, you know, structural, uh, you know, wiring, plumbing, roof, something of that nature, unless there's something like that, generally it's just all cosmetic stuff and it's all relatively, um, you know, it's pretty standard what the cost will be. You know, you know, you're going to rip out the floor and you know, you're going to have to paint everything. You know, you're probably gonna have to do a little bit of tile in the bathroom and so on and so forth. So um, I wouldn't be too um, afraid if you're a new investor of taking on a property that maybe looks really bad on the inside, because at the end of the day, you're most likely ripping everything out and replacing it cosmetically anyway. So um, I wouldn't be too scared of that. So yeah. for this property in specific, um, I think I spent on the renovations just under a hundred thousand so all 25, in 25 K per unit. Give exactly. Yeah. Yep. Which is, which is pretty standard yeah. um, for the London so area. I got you anyway. some pretty spanky new looking units at the end of the day. Did you replace uh, appliances and, and hardware and that kind of stuff in that, or did that stay the same? Yeah. So I pretty much, I try to keep any appliances that are in good working order or that, you know, look, uh, you know, fairly new. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, you don't want to be one of those people that spend to the moon because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you're going to go bankrupt if you overspend on everything. Definitely. Um, yeah. So I, I did as much as I needed to, um, you know, made it look good, you know, for the most part, new flooring everywhere, new, um, you know, new kitchens where they're needed, new bathrooms where they're needed. Um, but the, the real thing, like you pointed out earlier is just getting the rent up. So, you know, some of these apartments were renting for, you know, $550 a month, wow. $600 <laughs> a month. Uh, you know, I think one was like eight fifty a month and then now they're up to, you know, standard rents, you know, 1400 a month, 1600 a month. Um, wow. so some, you know, in some cases you tripled the rent. Exactly. Now, did you, I mean. I, I can see that being challenging, getting people to leave that kind of a property. If somebody's renting a place for five, 600 bucks a month 
they look around, they see that they're, you know, they're going to have to spend 1400 bucks a month to rent something quasi comparable. Even with cash for keys, that must be challenging to get people out. It is very challenging. Um, that's becoming more and more challenging uh, as time goes on. Tenants are becoming uh, more and more aware of how valuable their their low rent apartments are. So luckily this was back in 2020, which I was much easier back then to negotiate cash for keys than it is now. Um, you know, I have to go into these deals a lot more cautiously when there are underpaying tenants in, in this day and age, you know, 2023, um, because it is very, very tough to get tenants out. Um, but a piece of advice I would give to an investor is um, when you look at the uh, potential increased value in the property uh, for getting a tenant out, you know, if someone's paying $800 a month and you can get them out and then they, the rent goes to, you know, 14 to $1,600 a month, the ROI on that uh, turnover is immense. So, I mean, in some cases, I know a lot of people that are, you know, spending up to $25,000 to give to a tenant to move to a different place. But when they look at it in, in, a, in a pure um, numeral value, yeah. they can say, well, that $25,000 actually made the property worth $85,000 more. So yeah. for them, just, it's just it's getting a, that rent up to market rent. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy. huge, it's a huge bite to take to hand over 25 K to a tenant. But at the end of the day, it's just mathematics uh, when it comes to investing. And sometimes that's just the way to go. And make sure you hand over the 25 grand after they've left. Yeah, I would recommend that. <laughs> I would recommend that. Definitely after they sign something for sure. Well, I, I wouldn't even give it to them <laughs> until they're actually out. <laughs> no, exactly. I've, I've heard a lot of horror stories. So yes, I definitely would recommend getting a, a quality paralegal to handle it for you. Hey, so Just Tony, in case. So Tony, you started off with that fourplex in, in 2020. So there's four units. Now you're up to 30 units. Take, give us just kind of a big picture overview. What does the portfolio look like today? Yeah. So um, essentially you kind of touched on it earlier, but um, when you have T4 income, acquiring properties that are four units or less um, are not easy, but it's easier. Once you go over four units, it's commercial. So I just kind of followed that blueprint that other people had done where um, for me, I acquired pretty much all triplexes and fourplexes until I had quit my job and gone to real estate full time. Um, and the reason for that is, at least in my area, single family and duplexes didn't cash flow very well and still don't mm -hmm. cash flow very well. Yeah. Um, so for me, the sweet spot was triplexes and fourplexes. I could still acquire them with Scotiabank, you know, A-Lander Financing. And there was enough units per property that they would cash flow. So that's, yeah, that's exactly what I did. I just kept on buying triplexes and fourplexes. Um, and that's how I acquired uh, around 30 units or so. Nice. And then, uh, you know, when I decided to step away from my job and focus on real estate full time, I ended up buying a five unit building. It's like a little bit larger building with uh, commercial financing. And that's kind of a project that I'm currently uh, in the middle of finishing, wrapping up uh, renovations and whatnot. So Very um, good. Yeah, yeah, that's basically how it worked. So what what have you learned over the last three years, especially when it comes to managing properties and tenants? Are you self-managing or do you outsource that? How's that working? Yes, I am self-managing. I'm kind of at that tipping point where I have just enough units to make it difficult to self-manage, but not quite enough where I feel 
um, I have to bring in a property manager, especially now with interest rates, the way they're cutting into everyone's cash flow and whatnot. Um, I'm trying to be really conservative with my expenses and, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to self-manage until, uh, you know, I get to the point where I feel comfortable, uh, you know, paying that extra premium to, to have someone else manage it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, to your question, that's a great question. You know, what would, um, what sort of advice would I give someone or what are some things that I've learned? Um, for me personally, I would say the major thing, the major mistake that I made was uh, not having a quality contractor on my team. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd kind of been burnt in the past with poor contractors, whether, um, you know, they're, poor quality. That was a big thing for me. Uh, it were taking way too long and poor quality. Yes. Their prices were cheap, but in but the end of the day, paid for. exactly. I really got burnt. You know, I, yeah. I, I ended up paying more than I should have for what I got and everything was extremely delayed in a timeline. So if I would give advice to someone starting is really pick your contractor well, because they can put a huge cog in the wheel to your plans, you know, especially when you got deadlines that I'm going to refinance this by this date, I'm going to acquire something by that date. And all of a sudden your contractors, you know, two, three months Lakes, behind in a renovation. Yeah. yeah it, it destroys your, your whole plan. So, um, so how that's did a big you end one. Up finding a good one. Word of mouth. Yeah. Asking around. What did, what did you do? Yeah, exactly. Essentially just word of mouth. So you got to ask other investors and say, Hey, did you have, they won't give you their best contractors because usually they keep them close to their chest, (laughs) which is unfortunate. Right. Um, but at least, at least they'll give you a good contractor that they'll use when they have too much on the go. Their plan B. They'll give you their plan B contractor. Yeah. They won't give you the one A, but they'll give you the one B. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I would definitely recommend asking other quality investors, what sort of contractors they use and get those recommendations. Um, the other thing too, is it's, it's really nice if you can find a contractor that's, um, you know, extremely cheap, but does quality work in a timely fashion, but they're so, so rare. Um, I'm, I'm lucky enough to to have, uh, you know, one like that, uh, for the most part, but, um, yeah, it's so rare to find that. So you, you're better off just paying slightly more for a contractor um, that, you know, is really quality work. You don't pay top dollar cause you know, it's a business and you, you have to, you have to really, uh, watch your expenses to be able to be profitable, but maybe just pay a little bit extra, especially if you know, if you're tight for time to get a quality contractor can do it in a timely fashion. Um, and yeah, it won't derail your plans. Cause like part of being a good real estate investor is having a great quality team, you know, of a, of a, a realtor, a lawyer, an accountant, um, you know, a contractor, insurance broker, all of these things. But if you have one terrible team member, it, it just pulls everyone else down. down. So yeah, I get rid of them fast. So exactly moving, moving ahead, Tony. Um, well, first of all, so the properties that you have right now, did you self-finance all of those or did you end up bringing on joint venture partners or investors at some point? No, so everything's self-financed uh, except for there's two properties that I own um, joint venture with family, mm-hmm. um, but it's more of just like a family thing. It's not an actual, you know, bringing on a joint venture partner for money. Um, but yeah, everything's self-managed. I do I do like that just from the state of, um, you know, sometimes partnerships can go south. You never know. Mm-hmm. Um, just for me, it's just more of a, a peace of mind thing um, to own them uh, personally. Um, but that saying that there's nothing wrong with bringing in a joint French or uh, partner, 
especially maybe if you don't have the cash saved up to purchase properties. Um, the biggest thing I would say is definitely make sure you vet your partner to the 10th degree. Um, I've seen so many partnerships that go south because they were kind of rushed into partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, really have to treat it like a marriage and make sure that both partners um, really bring something different to the table. You know, one partner brings one skill that the other partner doesn't have and vice versa. And then it could be a, a good match. But uh, yeah, for me, I'm just, I don't have any real joint venture partners at the moment. So moving ahead, or what, do you, what are your plans for the next couple of years, Tony? Are you going to keep chugging along like this or start getting into bigger deals or do more of them? What, what are your goals? Yeah, so interest rates going up has made it quite difficult for a lot of people. So it's kind of slowed down my plans a little bit, um, trying to be a little bit more cautious uh, going forward. Um, but for me, the plan is since I'm now, uh, don't have any T4 income, I'm, you know, self-employed, I'm, I'm in the commercial space when it comes to financing. Um, so with that being said, it makes more sense in the commercial space to be a little bit, have a little bit larger properties as your projects. Um, so that's my goal is to kind of scale up to larger, larger buildings. You know, I'm working on a five plex, um, you know, maybe I kind of find that, you know, five to 10 unit uh, sweet spot and then just slowly over time, continue to grow the portfolio. Um, I know when the markets were really crazy hot, everyone uh, just got really excited, including myself, and just try to buy everything. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people got burnt if they bought, you know, right at the peak. I was lucky enough I didn't. Um, but saying that, I, I do think I want to be somewhat cautious going forward, not to get too overextended. Um, but yeah, I do contend. Uh, I do uh, plan on still growing. Um, at a nice consistent pace, um, if that warrants it over the next uh, few years. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Well, Tony, this has been great. Congratulations on your journey so far. I I think you're going to do even bigger and better things moving ahead. And if people want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I really appreciate it, David. Um, The best way would probably be on Instagram. Uh, My Instagram handle is just Tony Phillips and the number one. Um, and yeah, you can feel free to reach out anytime. Sounds good. And Tony, I understand this was your first podcast interview. How did it feel? It was, yeah, no, it's great. It's, um, it's a pleasure to, to speak with a quality, uh, you know, person asking me questions and whatnot. So it's, yeah, it makes it very easy. Well, I think it was a slam dunk for you, my friend. So good job. And if you're listening to this and you're a real estate entrepreneur, and you like the idea of being interviewed on a podcast. Check it out at daveinterviewsyou.com. We'd love to have you on the show as well. All right, Tony, thanks for being on the show. And everybody else, thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time. Appreciate it. Thanks so much.